I had it on mute. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, For the children that are staying in, remember, you can uh, fill out that blast zone uh, and listen in while we go on together. Miss Brianna won't be uh, here to check in with you afterwards, but I will be, and I used to teach fifth grade, so we'll see how lenient I am. (laughs) It'll be in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. This is God's word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are gracious. We thank you that our salvation is found in Christ alone. And that our hope and comfort in this life is found in Christ alone. We pray, Father, that in your grace and mercy that you would use your word this morning to build up your body. We pray, Father, that you would do this by the power of your spirit, for the good of your people, and for the glory of your name. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As we look at the year behind us and we look at the year in front of us, uh, things in our world seem bleak. Totalitarian governments are on the rise. There is an increasing hatred in our culture towards Christianity and any uh, true standard of morality. Society seems to be doing an excellent job of indoctrinating our children and ourselves with an unbiblical worldview. And in many churches, the gospel is not central, or if we're honest, it's not even present. We could continue this list, not only of world events, but I'm sure events in your own lives, things that seem dark, things that seem bleak. And I think there's a, a temptation for us to grow hopeless in this world that we live in. As Christians, it's important for us to remember and understand the hope that we have. You know, imagine being a soldier fighting in a war. How would you press on if you thought defeat was always around the corner? How would you continue if you thought the commands given by your commander had no real impact? The world can become a wearisome war for the Christian who has no hope. 
And so we ask ourselves, what hope does the church have in a world such as ours? How can the Christian soldier have hope for the battle? And today, we're going to answer that question by looking at this passage before us. And to do so, we're going to briefly work up to verse 18, and and verse 18 is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. And again, our, our guiding question, the thing that we're trying to answer this morning is, what hope does the church have in a world such as ours? How can the Christian soldier have hope in the battle? Let's start in verse 13 again, where we'll see some inadequate confessions. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So we have in this passage, uh, Jesus begins off by asking his disciples what people are saying about the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? And we see that uh, evidently some thought that he was uh, John the Baptist come back. Others thought he was Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And it seems from, from these responses that uh, the people that they're polling, the people that they're, uh, who are answering this question, ha- had a fairly favorable view of Jesus. It's not a bad thing to be compared to John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, right? However, though they regarded him highly, these responses are inadequate. It's not enough to think that Jesus was just a prophet or a good teacher. A good teacher cannot in and of himself save sinners from the penalty of sin. At the end of the day, these confessions of Jesus are not enough. And so we turn to Peter's confession in verse 15. He, that is Jesus, said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks, Who do you say that I am? Peter responds with this excellent statement. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This, this simple statement is filled with great theological truth. Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the one anointed from God, the one set apart to redeem his people from the power of sin and death. Not only that, but Peter says that Jesus is the Son of the living God. He's not a son of God like the saints are by adoption. He is the Son of God. All that makes the Father God, the Son is by His very nature. Like the Father, Jesus is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Jesus is God. And so we see here again in this statement from Peter that Jesus is God who has come to redeem his people. What an excellent gospel truth that Peter proclaims. But why is it, I mean, think about this, why is it that Peter, this this lowly fisherman, is able to understand this? The masses didn't get it. They thought he was just a prophet. The Pharisees uh, hadn't understood it. Why Peter, of all people? We see in verse 17 the answer 
to this question. We see the source of this revelation. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus tells Peter that this ability to see Christ as he is is a gift from the Father. The Father gave him this revelation. The Father chose to reveal Christ to Peter in a way that he hadn't with the Pharisees and with the masses. The Father removed the scales from Peter's eyes, so to speak, that he might behold the glory of who Christ is. Not because of anything special about Peter, but because of God's grace. From here we move to verse 18, where we will see the hope for the church, the hope for the Christian soldier. Again, our guiding question today is, what hope does the church have in a world like ours? How can the Christian soldier have hope in the battle? The answer is found right here, verse 18. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This verse is pregnant with hope for the Christian today. And I want us to note three things this morning. First of all, The church is built on the foundation of the gospel. Second of all, the church is being built by Christ. And third of all, the church will prevail. So again, first of all, we see that the church is built on the foundation of the gospel. Again, after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus tells Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The church that Christ is referring to is the universal church. That is the church that is made up of everyone who, is truly, uh, who truly has and who truly will put their faith in Christ. So he's not talking about a, a, a local church. He's not talking about Parkside. He's talking about the church as a whole, past, present, and future, all those who truly will put their faith in Christ. Well, what is the rock that Jesus is building this church on? Evidently not... Hopefully not the, my ability to get this microphone where it needs to be. <laughs> Again, what is the rock that Jesus is building his church on? Well, the meaning of the rock in this passage is disputed, but I think the best understanding would be that the rock is in reference to Peter's confession of Christ here. Uh, the Greek words for Peter and rock have a similar sound to them. And so it seems like uh, uh, that Jesus is doing a play on words between the two. He says that uh, you are Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church. And so I think it's more than, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, many of you are familiar with, believe that Jesus is saying he's going to build the church on Peter and people who have uh, uh, been passed down that apostolic succession from Peter. And so the Pope is Peter today, basically. I don't, I don't think that's what it is. In this context, we see that Peter, an apostle, has just confessed again that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this revelation to Peter was given from the Father. And so 
I believe the meaning of this is that the rock that Christ is building his church on is the revelation of himself proclaimed by the apostles, Peter being one of those. Ephesians 2 seems to confirm this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking of the Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So in that passage, we see that both uh, Jew and Gentile, the church, is being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ being the cornerstone. If we think about the role of the apostles and prophets, both of them were set apart to declare the word of God. And so today, we have that revealed word of God uh, to the prophets in the Old Testament. And we have the revealed word of God to the apostles in the New Testament. And both of these things, this foundation, the cornerstone of it, the thing that connects the old and the new together, that holds them together, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus. From the very beginning in Genesis 3, we see this unveiling of Christ in his work, even in the Old Testament, that Christ would be born a seed of the woman, that he would crush the head of the serpent, that he would conquer sin and death. And as we go on through the Old Testament, we learn more, right? That this snake crusher would be from the seed of Seth, that he would be from the line of Judah. We see that Uh, Christ would be a descendant of David, that he would be a king like David, that he would be a priest greater than Moses, uh, greater than Aaron, a prophet greater than Moses. So as that unfolds, then we get to the New Testament, right? And Christ actually comes, the one promise, and we're given a more detailed picture of Christ in his work. We see that Christ, the God-man, lived the perfect life and bore the wrath of sinners on the cross. We see that all those who put their faith in Christ have their sins paid for in his death and are declared righteous on account of Christ's life. In short, again, the rock that Christ is building his church on is the gospel. The revealed truth of Christ and his work. Well, how does that give us hope? How does that give the Christian soldier hope to push forward? Christian soldier, you have a firm foundation. In every age, the the world is tossed to and fro by various ideas, fads, speculations. But you, Christian soldier, are rooted and grounded in the eternal truth of Christ and his work. Something that will never change. You have this eternal hope rooted in a faithful, gracious Savior who has accomplished your salvation. As Woody said, the work is finished. It's done. Our gospel foundation is not shaken by illness, political turmoil, or even our own weakness and sin. Our gospel foundation is strong. Because Christ is strong. So what do we do? 
We do what Christian soldiers have done in every age. We proclaim the full counsel of God's word, focusing on Christ and Him crucified. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I mean, it does, but it doesn't change what we do. We proclaim the good news of everlasting life in Christ to a dying world. We teach our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our neighbors, each other, these precious truths as we march forward grounded in the eternal truth that God has revealed to us in His Word. It's not shakable. It won't crumble beneath our feet. We do all this with the sure hope that the church is being built upon the great gospel truth that Peter professed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christian, not only can you take hope because you have a strong foundation, you can take hope because Christ is building His church. He's doing it. Right now, it may not seem to us that the church is being built up, but it is. We know this because Christ has promised it. Christ says, I will build my church. Christ is faithful to do what he says he'll do, and his infinite sovereignty always accomplishes what he sets out to do. Christ says, I will build my church. He will accomplish what he has set out to do. He is committed to the ultimate success of his church. When you and I, when you or I invest in something, whether it be time, energy, financially, we're, we're committed to that thing, right? You know, I, in high school, I, we had to play the stock market game where we were given $10,000 in fake money, unfortunately. And then we got to invest in real companies and, and see how it did. And all of a sudden, it was, it was pretend money, but all of a sudden I was so committed to the success of these companies I had never even heard of. I had my, my pretend money invested in them. Listen, out of his sovereign grace, Christ has purchased his church not with pretend money, not with trinkets, but with his own precious blood. The eternal Son of God paid the infinite price of sin by bearing the wrath we deserve on the cross. The Prince of Peace bore the punishment for the chief of sinners. The King of Kings shed his blood for treacherous rebels. For us. For the church. And not only that, but he has given every Christian his spirit to live within us. And he has entrusted the church with his very word. Should we dare think that Christ's church, the one that he has purchased with his blood, the one that he has equipped with his spirit and his word, will be anything less than victorious? Christ says, I will build my church. Christ will accomplish what he has purposed. Christ is building his church and will finally and fully build his church. So take heart. Christian soldier, march on. Christ is your king. He is commanding all things to build and benefit his church. 
from our perspective, it seems like there's defeat all around us. But we have the hope that Christ has ordained all things, even tribulations, not to defeat his church, but to build up his church. Christian soldier, Christ is training you up in this battlefield. He chose this battlefield for you. And he's chosen you for this battlefield. Not for your great-great-grandfather, not for your great-great-grandchildren, but for you. He will not lose you. He will not forsake you. He will keep you and build you with the rest of his church. Again, what hope does the church have in a world like ours? First of all, again, the church is built on the eternal, secure foundation of the gospel, of Christ and his work. Secondly, Christ is building his church. The church is being built by Christ. And thirdly, Christian soldier, you have this hope that the church will prevail. Let's read verse 18 again. Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ is building his church, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. The church built by Christ on the foundation of a true confession of Christ is unstoppable. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck the church from Christ's hand. Not even death itself can prevail against Christ's church. And scripture is all, all we need to be assured of this fact. But history certainly gives a hearty amen to it. Think about it. Did the Jewish religious leaders stop Christ from building his church? No. Did, did the execution of Christ stop Christ from building his church? No. Did Roman persecution, did the marriage of the church and the Roman government did the Gothic invasion of the Roman Empire, did the medieval Roman Catholic Church, did the bubonic plague, did the English Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War, race riots, did the heretical teachings of Arius, Pelagius, the Gnostics, the Sicinians stop Christ from building his church? No. Will government totalitarianism, will COVID, will culture that hates Christ, Will denominations that forsake Christ and his word? Will the Mormon church, will prosperity gospel preachers, will future wars, will future famines, will future diseases, will anything or anyone stop Christ from building his church? No. Nations rise and fall, wars are won and lost, diseases come and go, leaders live and die, but Christ and his church go on forever. Even if every government in the world decides to kill those who profess Christ, death will not stop Christ from building his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Tertullian, an a, uh, early Christian theologian, he lived during a time of great Roman persecution of the church, and he said this, he said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. They kept trying to kill Christians. 
Let's stop them. Let's kill them. What happened? The church kept growing. That which the world and Satan intend to use to destroy the church, Christ has ordained to build and grow the church. Christ is undefeatable. Christian, Christian soldier, take great confidence in this. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the gospel going forth throughout the whole world. It cannot prevail against Christ saving sinners. It cannot prevail against Christ building up his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. We live in a time, I know for me, it's easy to be pessimistic. From our perspective, it seems like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And by the way, this isn't the first time Christians have felt this way. How do we have hope? We take hope that Christ is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let us not be hopeless in this war that we fight in. Christ is on the throne. Our king is omnipotent. Our commander is our liberator. He has saved us from sin and death and enlisted us into his service. We serve him out of love because he first loved us. Let us not be bogged down in this war by worrying about losing that which we cannot take to heaven. If we are reproached, let us be reproached in the service of Christ. Glory awaits us in heaven. If we lose our comfort in possessions, let us lose our comfort in possessions in the service of Christ. Our inheritance and final rest is in heaven. And if we die, let us die in the service of Christ. Resurrection from the dead and eternal life is found in Christ. <laughs> what can we lose? We have the much better already. Secure in Christ. Where is this war fought? It's in your home. Is that your job? Here at church, in your neighborhood, on the phone with a friend, in your own heart? It's in the place that God has put you. That's where you're supposed to be. How is this war fought? By remembering and proclaiming the gospel by pursuing what Christ has told us to do. Parents, grandparents, disciple your children. Husbands, lovingly lead your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, honor your parents. Christians, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. Point each other to Christ and His finished work. Share the gospel with those around you. Love one another, encourage one another, exhort one another. Take communion, be baptized, pray. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Know God's word, understand God's word, and proclaim God's word. Those are your battle plans. Do these things not to earn God's favor. Do these things because you already have God's full favor in Christ Jesus. You have it. March forward. And take courage because Christ has determined to use our feeble, sin-tainted efforts to build up his church. How amazing is that? That Christ would use us to build his church. So take heart. Parent, 
If you're trying to point your child to Christ and they're staring off in the distance, seems like nothing's happening. Take heart. Continue forward. Ultimately, it's not based upon you. It's based upon Christ using, again, your feeble, sin-tainted efforts. Typically, Christ's church is built in ordinary places, through ordinary people, and through ordinary ways. I think in America, we have this, this idea that the biggest splash, the thing that makes the most sound and the most huzzah, is the most effective. And so what happens if, if I'm leading family worship and, and chorus of angels aren't singing and a, a, light of, a, a beam of light doesn't shine down on the table well, it must be ineffective. No. No. The thing that will be most effective is the thing that Christ has told us to do because that is what he uses to build his church. And again, even if what you're doing seems to have no results, remember, we don't battle as those without hope. We battle in the hope that the battle ultimately belongs to who? To God, to the Lord. In conclusion, Christian soldier, yes, things look bleak right now. But let us push onward and boldly proclaim like Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and there is salvation nowhere else to be found but in Him. Let us remember that Christ will build His church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is reality. It may not appear so right now, but this is what is happening. This new year, let us remember and believe that God has chosen us for this battle. God has equipped us with His Word and Spirit for this battle. And God has destined that the church will be ultimately victorious in this battle. Christ will build His church. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this great hope that we have, a hope that is unshakable, a hope that is uh, not dependent on us and our feeble efforts. It's not dependent on uh, some big program. But our hope is dependent on Christ. Our hope is dependent on one who is omnipotent, one who is all-sovereign and all-good and all-wise, the one who is directing all things for the good of his people. Let us take hope, Lord. Pray that our hope wouldn't be fixated on us, that our hope wouldn't be fixated on the state of our nation, but that our hope would be fixed on Christ and the promise that we have that he will build his church. Lord, we don't know what the next decades have for us. We might lose certain things. Things may not be better. Outwardly, Lord, but we have this hope that even uh, amid sad circumstances, that good is happening. Pray, Father, that uh, we wouldn't look at numbers or percentages and think that Christ is not building his church. 
Let us look to your word and to remember and trust that he is. And Father, we pray that out of this hope that we would be motivated to do what you have told us to do. That we would remember the great love that you have shown us in Christ, that you have redeemed us, that you have purchased us, that you have made us your sons, that we have an inheritance in heaven, secure. And let us take advantage of every uh, opportunity that you give us. Pray, Father, that we would be about your business, again, not to earn what we already have in Christ, but motivated out of a love for Christ. And Father, as we are about to uh, do our time of communion, pray, Father, that you would use this time to turn our attention uh, to Christ once more, that we would remember that Christ has accomplished our salvation, that we would be again encouraged to move forward. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We move uh, on to our time of communion here. If you haven't already, now would be a good time to pick up uh, the bread and the cup. Uh, I think there's some baskets behind the pews there. Communion is a time uh, for those who have put their faith in Christ. And so if that is not you, please do not partake of this. Uh, again, this is for believers only. During this time of communion, we turn our eyes to Christ. We remember our great need for Him, our infinite need for Him. And we remember the work that He has accomplished for us. And as we do this, we commune together as a body with Christ. We remember our union with Christ that is accomplished through his finished work on the cross, that, that we actually enjoy communion with him because of what he has done. And I think communion is such a cool thing because as we do this, we join the countless saints through the ages who have done the same thing. We proclaim the gospel with them by taking communion together. And so first, we come to the bread. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending the Son. We thank you that Christ has come, that he lived the perfect life, that we can never live, that he died the death that we deserve. We thank you for the body of Christ, the one that was crucified on our behalf. We thank you that our salvation rests on him and his work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we come to the cup. Paul continues. He says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you for the new covenant. We thank you that our salvation is based upon Christ's work and not on our own. 
We thank you, Lord, for the blood that was shed on our account. We thank you that the blood of Jesus wipes away all of our sin, past, present, and future. Father, as we uh, still see our, our sin, we, we take heart and remember that Christ paid for that sin. We take heart and remember that we have his righteousness on our account because of your sovereign grace. And pray, Father, that as we take this cup, that we would uh, be pointed to Christ, that we would grow in our faith in Christ, and that you would sanctify us through that. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, there is none like you. We thank you for this great gospel truth that man does not work his way up to you to be saved, but that you came down, Christ came down in the flesh to save us. And pray, Father, that as we go about our week, Lord, that we would rest secure in the finished work of Christ, that we would rest secure in the promises of Christ. And pray that you would be glorified in our lives, Lord. Not, not for our sake, primarily, but for yours, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is the, the time of the month where we collect benevolence giving. So if you would uh, like to give uh, in that regard, there's a box back there. There'll be a, a prayer couple up here if you'd like to, to have someone pray for you. They would love to do that. And let's finish off with this verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thank you. You are dismissed.